Jonah 1.17 and then uh, chapter 2 from 1 to 10. Okay, so if you haven't got it, it's on the back of the bulletin here, nice and easy. Uh, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swelled all about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and, you, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak your word. I pray you'd use uh, these words and that you'd apply them to the hearts of your people and anyone listening. You draw us all to yourself, correct us, comfort us, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a friend, I won't say their name, and um, I stayed at this guy's place before I was married a fair few years ago, and uh, one time I said to him, why don't we start praying together in the morning? And he's like, okay. So we start praying together. And I don't know if you've heard of the, the whole, you know, the old Acts thing of praying, adoration, confession, uh, thanksgiving, <laughs> supplication. <laughs> so praise, uh, confession, thank, thanking God for things and asking God for things. Well, we're going through, we're praying, and when we got to the part where you're meant to thank God, uh, so I did some prayers of thanks and then got to my friend and he said, well, I've got nothing to say. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't really have anything to thank God for. Said, oh, oh, okay. Why? Now, before I tell you the answer, I want to describe to you a bit more about this guy. He was a really great guy. He's a Christian, one of the most helpful, serving people I've ever known in my life. He'd give you... He, his uh, shirt off his back. He'd just give you anything. Always helping people, always serving people, always polite, always respectful. Um, so from the outside, he was a really good Christian bloke, a really good guy. So I was a bit shocked when, we, when this happened in, in the prayer part. And I said to him, why is it? Why, why have you got nothing to say thank, thanks to God for? He said, well, God hasn't given me what I asked for. Uh, what do you mean? He said, well, I had a divorce about 10 years ago, and I'm still single. God has not given me a wife, so I've got nothing to say thanks to God for. And our prayer kind of stopped there, because he wasn't willing to go any further. And that image has stayed with me for a long time. So on the outside, he was a model Christian man, but on the inside, there was a big blockage. 
I'm sure he probably said some desperate prayers for help now and then, but he'd stopped saying thank you. And I think it'd be fair to say he'd stopped praising God as well because his heart had been closed up because he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't like the way things panned out. And I, I want to trace with you the path of Jonah from a place of, you could say, uh, being in his hometown, uh, probably going okay, to a place of bitterness, despair, suicidal thoughts, and depression. So Jonah starts off in Israel, and then the Bible says he goes down to Joppa. It was south of Israel, and, he, and then he bought the ticket, and he went down on the boat. And then he went down to the bottom of the boat, and he fell asleep. And then the storm comes because God has not given up on Jonah. And what is Jonah's response to the storm? He is fast asleep. The only ones doing the right thing are these pagan sailors who are calling out for help to their gods. And they say to Jonah, wake up. The captain says, what are you doing sleeping? You should pray to your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't all die. And Jonah still doesn't pray. He comes up, they cast lots, and he's the one that they find is responsible. So that, what do we do? He said, throw me overboard and everything will get better. And in the Hebrew, the idea is he's being thrown headfirst into the sea. He's kind of got a death wish. He's willing to die for his cause. Jesus was willing to die to save us. Jonah is willing to die so that the Ninevites are all destroyed. What a horrible kind of opposite heart you see there in Jonah. He's willing to die for his cause. And some of us are like that. We're willing to go to our grave before we show mercy to some people. We're willing to die for our sense of justice, even if it's different to God's sense of justice. We're willing to die before we forgive that person. We're willing to die before we show mercy to that group of people. We're willing to die before we get, take God's heart for that group of people. Because I'm right. Jonah said, I do have a right to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. And he goes down. You think he can't get any lower. And then he gets thrown down into the ocean. And then he goes down further and further. And, for, and he goes right down. And, and the Bible says he goes down to Sheol, the place of the dead. It's almost like he's gone to hell itself. And, and it says that the earth, he was bound up in the heart, the, the heart of the earth forever. Seaweed wrapped around his head. And the waves are all over him. To me, it's kind of like he's on some psychedelic, near-death experience drug trip, but actually he's on a trip running from God's presence. It's just like this, almost like the beginning of Genesis when, when um, God was getting ready to, to make the earth and it's all primordial and everything's dark and wavy and weird. And Jonah's like in that place. He's in the twilight zone between death and life. He's become like a psycho, like a beast. And that's what we become like when we rebel against God. We lose not, not only sight of right and wrong, we lose sight of sanity. We become like crazy people. And if you're honest, you might think of times in your life where you've been like that. Even after you're a Christian, you might think of times where you were so depressed, so angry at your spouse or angry at one of your family members or someone at work that you just become a little bit crazy. And Jonah's in that place. And he thinks he can run from God's presence. So he's in the worst place you could think of. He's suicidal, he's about to die, he's, he's crazy, he's bitter, he hates God's plan. 
He thinks he can run away from God. Now, if you or I were God, we would have given up on Jonah. Well, forget it then. Go and kill yourself. (laughs) But not God. God's mercy is so great. And God's power is so great. And God's presence is so everywhere. God is there. In the depths of hell and despair, God is there. And so God sends the fish to swallow Jonah up. And the interesting thing about the prayer of Jonah in the fish is that he starts, he, he has part of the prayer in past tense where he's talking about he's hot, when he was like almost dying and he was like all uh, at the bottom of the earth and seaweed wrapped around his head and he's just like, ah, and, and then he's like, oh, God rescued me. But he hadn't been completely rescued yet. He wasn't on dry land yet. But he starts thanking God and praising God before he gets to dry land. Now, some of us are like my friend that I told you about, and some of us are like Jonah, where we look good on the outside, but our heart has stopped worshiping God. Our heart has stopped saying thank you to God because there's a blockage. And some of us, God has put into the vice of life to squeeze some prayer out of us. Because in the severe mercy of God, he's put you in a situation to make you cry out to him. God did this all the time to the Israelites. He'd bless them. They'd become rich. They'd become comfortable. There was peace on all sides. And they started worshiping idols. And so God would take them into captivity to a foreign country like the Ninevites, like Assyria. He would take them into captivity and then they would cry out again to God. Now it might look like on the outside the worst thing had happened. All their wealth, all their security, all their comfort, all their joy, you could say, had been taken away. But this was God's severe mercy to give them the true treasure, put them back in line with God. The first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. But what use is it if if God blesses you and blesses you and blesses you and your heart begins to turn away from God? You've gained the whole world and you've lost your soul. And so some of you right now in this room are in a point of great frustration. Frustration in two ways. Your circumstances of life are just crushing you and you feel trapped. And it's more than a midlife crisis. It's more than you just, you want a Harley or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's more than you want a younger, prettier wife or a Harley or a new job or something like that. It's, it's really crushing you in every way. And spiritually, you've started to close up. Now, on the outside, no one can tell. You're still coming to church. You're still smiling. You're still shaking hands. Your kids are doing fine. But inside, you're dying. And there's also another crisis. Not only are you dying inside, but you know that God is calling you to something, to a different way of life, to a different kind of a walk with God, a walk which takes more faith, a walk which has more risk, but also more reward. And you, you really want to do it, but you, you can't get there because you're stuck. Because you're stuck. Well, I've got a message of hope for you today. It's in that very place that God comes and gives you what you need. What you need in that place is not a self-help book or another seminar or a training, 
or some comforting words from a friend, or a new job, or a new wife, or a Harley. What you need in that place is the very thing God gives, resurrection. Because you've died inside. You've died. You need a bomb to come and deconstruct you and put you back together. You need resurrection. Now, this, the book of Jonah is so interesting because Jonah is like uh, a prophecy played out in a, in a drama. The whole story of drama is saying this is what Israel is. And all the way to Jesus when he says, no sign will be given to you Pharisees, even though you ask for one, except the sign of Jonah. For as the Son of Man, so as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And Jesus said, the people of Nineveh will stand up in judgment of you at the end because the, the, the Ninevites repented at Jonah's preaching. But someone greater than Jonah is here and you aren't repenting. Jesus gives a better resurrection than Jonah got. Jonah was resurrected. He pretty much was dead. He was resurrected. But you notice, if you read through the story, Sure, he does what God says and goes and preaches, but does his heart change? What a scoundrel he is. At the end, he's up there and he's looking down on the city. Please, God, destroy that city. Please, destroy, please, please, please. And when God doesn't destroy the city, he's so angry. His heart hasn't changed. He was kind of half forced to do God's will. Maybe he changed in that moment, but he's still a scoundrel. His heart hasn't changed. But... When we receive the resurrection from God, we get a new heart. We get a new heart. What a miracle. We get a new heart. Our heart of stone is turned to a stone of flesh. And now anything is possible. And the challenge I want to give some of you today is, you've been given a new heart. You've been given God's Holy Spirit. Now walk in step with the Spirit. Now partner with what God is doing in your life. Don't be an autopilot Christian. I'm saved. It's everything's okay. I'm just going along like a zombie. The Bible says, love the Lord your heart with all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Are you doing that? Or are you like Jonah? Have you fallen asleep to the things of God? Because the Apostle Paul says, I strive with all the energy that Christ gives me. Are you striving with all the energy that Christ has given you to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul? Jonah was in the pit, and some of you are feeling that way now. But God is bringing you out. It says in the Bible, Arise, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, that Christ may shine on you. God is calling some of you to resurrect. And I want to speak to you men, because as leaders of our household, what we do has such a massive influence on everyone around us. Look at Jonah. His disobedience almost caused the death of a bunch of sailors. His disobedience influenced other people. So if you're not willing to strive for God harder for yourself, at least do it for those around you. At least do it out of a sense of responsibility for those around you. God raised Jonah up 
and then he went in obedience, but his heart hadn't changed. God is not just asking for, for your physical acting out obedience. He's asking for your heart. Maybe some things have happened in your life that have stopped you praying, stopped you giving thanks, stopped you praising, stopped you worshiping God. You notice in the prayer of Jonah, he cries out. But there's no crying out to God before that from Jonah. He's just running, just running the other way. Now, a lot of us might not be uh, consciously running from God, but if you're sitting still, then you're only going to go backwards. It's just like a marriage or any relationship. If you sit still, everything stagnates. It's like watering a garden. You have to constantly put effort in. Now, we're saved by grace, but after we're saved, we can still work against God. If we're passive and indifferent. But God doesn't want you to be passive and indifferent to his plans. And what are his plans? I believe from the Bible he has two big plans, and they're all for his own glory. The first plan is he's changing you to become more like Jesus. When's the last time you really sat down and thought, what are the areas in my life where I'm really not like Jesus? What can I do to partner with God as he's changing my heart? You might need an accountability partner for a sin you can't break. You might need to start reading different things. You might need to start being creative. Find ways to walk with God as he's changing you. The other great thing God is doing is his big overarching plan to save the world. Have you ever stopped to think, God, what is your part that you want me to play in saving the world? How can you play a small part in a big thing God is doing instead of playing a big part in a small thing you are doing? We love being lost in something bigger. God has made us for this. That's why we love going to the movies. Well, there's something bigger for you to be part of. It's the big plan for God to save the world. And God will show you how. It might be supporting some people that are working in an area where there are no Christians. It might be helping with SRE. It might be sharing your testimony with your friend. But it certainly isn't autopilot Christianity, zombie Christianity. See, we're not zombies. We've been raised from the dead. We're not the living dead. We're the living living. We've been raised. We've been raised. It's amazing. It's just what we needed. It's foreign to the world. The world is about self-improvement. But we're about resurrection. Totally different. We're not a bit bad and we just got to turn around while we were dead in our sins. We were raised up. I want to read you something from the, from the Word. Um, it's Ephesians 5, 8 to 20. Feel free to read along if you want. This is what it says. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. You see, it's active. Find out what pleases the Lord. Don't just sit back and assume that the way you've been living your Christian life is the right way. We have all sorts of cultural blind spots, things we can't see. 
all sorts of ways we're sinning that we don't have any idea about because our culture endorses it. And so we don't realize it. So find out what pleases the Lord. Try to find out what the ungodly societal influences in your life are and then work against them. Is it selfishness? Is it materialism? I don't know. You need to find out. Find out. Make that a priority for yourself. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Maybe God wants you to be part of some kind of action that exposes darkness in our society. You might not be popular for doing it, but maybe God has that for you. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days of evil. See, it's easy to forget how evil the days are and how short our time is because everything is in peace and security here. But the time is limited and opportunities can slip away from you. So when God puts an opportunity before you that you know is of him, then take it for goodness sake, take it. When God prompts you, go and talk to that person, then go and talk to them. When God prompts you, you need to stop doing this to your spouse, then stop doing it. You don't have forever. Do it. Not just for yourself, do it for your family and then for your society and then for the world. Do it. When God gives you that little nudging, you need to do, then do it. And some of you here know exactly what it is already because God's spoken to you and you've been resisting. Stop resisting. You've been resurrected. You've been given a new heart. Partner with what God is doing in you. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunken wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a book that came out a little while ago. What was it called? A Thousand Thanksgivings or something? One Thousand Gifts. And it was a challenge to write down something you were thankful for. Was it over a thousand days? Just a thousand thanks. Anyway, the idea of the book was to get you to be thankful again. And I really think there's some people in this room that have stopped being thankful. You still come to church. You're still doing the right thing, but in your heart, you're drifting from God. And it's so dangerous. When we see people doing these Things that, that just seem so ridiculous, like running away with another woman, like getting addicted to drugs, like hiding a severe addiction without telling anybody for a long time, like becoming a closet alcoholic. We think, how did that happen? Well, it usually doesn't happen with one snap decision. It's a thousand bad decisions. Slowly, oh, just, oh, it's all right, oh, just, and then the sin becomes normalized, and then oh, a bit more, a bit more, hide it a bit more, a bit more. And I believe it often starts with a heart that stops thanking God. Because you start thinking, this isn't fair. I'm entitled to more than this. My marriage didn't work out the way I thought it would. My job didn't work out the way I thought it would. My kids didn't turn out the way I thought they would. This isn't fair. I deserve more than this. I would just reward myself for myself. 
Let me reward myself a bit more. Reward myself. Oh my goodness, my marriage is broken. My family is destroyed. A thousand little decisions. Because you didn't thank God for what you already had. And so you thought you were entitled to more. How many people leave church because they say, well, church didn't treat me the way I thought they should, so I'm out of here. All the things God has given them that they forget in that moment. And all the sin in their own life that they forget in that moment. If you're here tempted to leave church, count your blessings. You are so fortunate to be in the family of God. Don't count the things you don't like. Count your blessings. If you want to count the things you don't like, you can always go forever. Anyone can. Even though we're in the richest place in society, they say Australia has the lowest level of domestic violence in the world. We, we have so much. But if you want to, you can always find things to complain about. And isn't it amazing when you find someone that's had real tragedy in your life and you see some of them, how thankful they are to God still. What a testimony that is. And what a beautiful work of God that is. And some of them thank God for the things that were taken away from them so they could focus back on Jesus. I remember uh, an interview with an Iraqi Christian. ISIS came through. They took everything and killed half the guy's family. It was like a Job kind of story. His relatives dead. His possessions gone. And he said, I thank God so much because now I treasure Jesus. What a rebuke to us. I thank God so much because now I treasure Jesus. See, Jonah says in his prayer, those who worship false idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Other translations say, those that uh, entertain empty vanities forfeit God's love for them. What does it mean? An empty vanity. It means there's this temporal, kind of empty kind of thing that tells you, if you put me first, you'll be really happy. I mean, advertising does it all the time, right? If you put me first, you'll be really happy. You'll be great. Everyone will love you. You'll be beautiful, etc., etc. Empty vanities. Sometimes God has to take them off us by force so that we see them for what they really are. Some of you have had loss recently in your life or in the past. And in the beginning, you just thought, why? But when you look back, you can see, wow, I'm thankful for that now. I see what God has done in my life. And I want to encourage you, if you're right in the, in the spot where you can't see the thankful part yet, remember, God is doing something in you. This is not all random. God is changing you, and God is preparing to use you more and more to save the world. Don't be like Jonah, who, although he was resurrected, his heart wasn't changed. Don't be like Jonah, a proud Israelite, upstanding in the community, rotten heart. You'd be better off having a good heart for God and have people look down on you and dislike you in the community. God wants your heart. That's number one. And I want to close with another passage. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable richness of his grace, extended in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is not finished with you. God is not finished with you, no matter the place you're in now, no matter your age or your ability, God is not finished with you. It says in the Bible, he that began a good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Which means what God has started in you is going to keep doing until you get to heaven and then you have a perfect body, a perfect heart, a perfect mind, a perfect attitude. But for now, we're in process. God is doing something in your life. Don't be passive. Don't be asleep. Partner with God. Walk in the Spirit. And remember, be thankful because it could save your life and the life of those around you. Thank you.